I want to take you back tonight to 1985. It seems like I've done that before, but tonight, once again, I want to take you back to 1985. Yes, it was an important year. It was a good year. Can anybody agree with me? 1985? I don't know, for various reasons. This was the year that Marty McFly traveled back in time to 1955. But I want to take you back to 1985 for a different reason other than back to the future. It was in 1985 at Madison Square Garden in New York City that the very first WrestleMania took place. Do you remember WrestleMania? Anybody, you know, give me some love tonight. You remember WrestleMania? Yeah. WrestleMania, this, is, this was the logo. They've changed logos since then, but I th- believe this was one of the original logos. WrestleMania is a professional wrestling event that was created by Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon created this, and it was a huge event that drew thousands of fans across, from across America to New York City, to Madison Square Garden, and of course millions watching on pay-per-view. The main event of the night was a tag team match between WWF World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, accompanied by Jimmy Snuka, (laughs) against the team of Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, who were accompanied by Cowboy Bob Orton. Yeah, I remember these names. I do, I have to admit. Although I was not a big fan, I do remember all these names. WrestleMania, I think this is one of the promo picks that was put together for WrestleMania. Do you remember Hulk Hogan? Yes, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T and Rowdy Roddy Piper. I don't know, was, was he the guy that wore the kilt? Yeah, he was the guy and they would do all these things. It was wild stuff. The only question with all of it Dating back to 1985 and fast forwarding all the way up to the very day that we live in today, the only, here's the only question with it all. Is it real? <laughs> was it real? Was it really wrestling? I mean, we were told it was professional wrestling, but it was always, is it real? Is it real? Was it real? Are they really wrestling? Well, I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> What I want to talk to you tonight about is a different WrestleMania, a different kind of wrestling. Sometimes in life we feel like we're wrestling with other people, and it's a struggle, and the question is, how do we approach these conflicts as believers, these wrestling matches, I guess you could call them if you want to, with other people, other human beings? And then there are times that we are just struggling in our relationship with God. And what should we do about that? How should we feel about it? Should we allow that to get us down? What should we do about it that we are having this struggle with our relationship with God? How should we handle that struggle? Well, tonight's passage in Genesis 32 answers these questions. Tonight, we'll see a real-life WrestleMania. And did you know that you could, in a roundabout way, say that this Life that we have in Jesus Christ is the biggest WrestleMania that there is. And you'll get the point as we go through the message. But this is a WrestleMania that I want to talk to you tonight about in Genesis 32. We'll see that 
the WrestleMania that we see in Genesis 32 also takes place in every one of our lives. So the question is, what should you do? How should you proceed? Well, tonight we're going to look at two areas of this WrestleMania. Number one, if you're taking notes, wrestling with men. And number two, if you're taking notes, wrestling with God. So first, wrestling with men. What should we do about it? Let's pick it up in verse 1 of Genesis 32. It says this. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the chi- the mother with the children for you said i will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude so he lodged there that same night and took what came to him to his hand as a present for his brother esau 200 female goats and 20 male goats 200 ewes and 20 rams 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. And then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me and afterward. And I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he lodged that night in the camp. So tonight we're talking about WrestleMania, and the first thing we're going to deal with is wrestling with men, wrestling with other people. The first part of the chapter, chapter 32, deals with Jacob leaving the place of of having made that deal, that covenant with Laban. Remember from last week, and if you weren't here, I'll just fill you in. He had made this, he had left his father-in-law with his two wives, his two concubines, all of his 
kids and everything and all of his livestock, and he left out of there, and he they did not tell Laban. And so Laban, once, once he figured out that they were gone, he pursued them for seven days. But then on the last night, before he overcame them, God spoke to Laban. Laban was warned in a dream not to do anything to Jacob. And so at the end of the chapter, there they were making an agreement, making a covenant and saying, look, I'm not going to harm you and you don't harm me. And they set up a pillar and a gathering of stones. And they said, this is the place where we'll look and say, we're not uh, crossing over this place to do harm to one another. And so picking it up in verse uh, chapter 32, that is the immediate context of, of him having left that of that place, dealing with Laban and continuing on back to the land of Canaan. And it specifically deals with, as we've just read, the fact that his brother Esau that he discovers is now coming out to meet him, and not just him, with 400 men. Okay, so this is kind of, it's kind of, it's setting up as kind of a showdown. It's a, it's a battle royale. It's a WrestleMania going to happen, going to go off, uh, that type of a thing. And According to the text, this puts a lot of fear into Jacob. He's, he's fearful. Fear is gripping him. And you'd be fearful too. You'd be fearful too if the brother you wronged and 400 guys were coming out to meet you. Yeah, you'd be shaking in your boots out there in the desert. Ah, So... We've got a battle royale. It's going to go down. Jacob is coming up with plans of dividing his group into two to mitigate the potential loss. And he's dividing out some livestock as gifts, as successive gifts to Esau to kind of, you know, butter him up, warm him up a little bit. And so maybe that he would be accepted. The question then becomes, what do you do? What do you do when you're struggling with warring with someone else? It's a wrestling match in with you, someone human. Uh, it's a perplexing question. How do you handle the situation? And sometimes we do stuff and we go, ah, that way maybe wasn't the right thing to do. So the question is, what do we do? The opening of this chapter, chapter 32 that we just read, gives us some insight in what to do. It get, you didn't see it, you probably didn't catch it, but the opening verses of the chapter gave us some insight into what is going on and how we need to approach it. How to look at these battles that are with flesh and blood, humanity around us. The chapter opens with Jacob going on his way and then him being met with the angels of God. Did you, did you catch that? Did you catch that as we read it? Let me look back at it. It says, so Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. So it opens up with Jacob meeting or the angels of God coming out to meet him. It doesn't say how many angels met him, but it is plural. It does say angels. So we can definitely assume that it's two or more. And so the angels of God have come out to meet him. So Jacob goes on his way and is met by the angels of God, and he sends them ahead to meet Esau to tell them that that he is returning to the land of Canaan and has become wealthy. Here's the clue. What What is the little clue that is told to us at the beginning of this chapter and how to deal with the wrestling match that we may have with 
a brother or a sister. Jacob is met by these angels, the angels of God. This tells us that the battle is spiritual and that it needs to be fought in the spirit. He's immediately, as he, as he turns from the agreement with Laban, he immediately goes out and he is met with who? Angels. People, these creatures, these creations of God from the other realm, from the unseen realm, from the spiritual world, if you will. And this tells us that what's going to happen, because see, these angels are sent to, to be with Jacob, to comfort him, to lead him, to, gu- to guard him, and to guide him. And so we can tell you, it can tell us right there that how you proceed in a wrestling match with other people in your life is that you first recognize that the battle is spiritual. You first have to understand, you first have to recognize that the battle is spiritual. Now, I want to talk to you about this camp. He comes up to this camp and he meets these angels of God. And so he calls the, look at it there in verse Two, it says, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And it, it is to say it's God's camp, but it actually, if you look down in your notes, if you can look down at the bottom of your Bible, there's probably a note that, that has an asterisk by it that says that it could be translated double camp, double camp. And a lot of the commentators believe that you literally, what he came upon, and the reason why he called it double camp or God's camp or Mahanaim was because he saw two groups of angels, two groups of angels. And one of the great commentators, Matthew Henry, actually suggested that this is what we have all around us, we have a double camp. We have a double camp of angels because we have that camp of angels that's going in front of us, that's going before us. We have that vanguard, if you will, but we also have a rear guard that God has given his, as the psalmist said, his angels charge over us that we might be lifted up. Of course, it's talking about Messiah, but he's given his angels charge over us that they might lift us up and that they might go out as a vanguard and a rear guard. And so you have the double encampment. And what, a, what an amazing uh, message that's being spoken to Jacob as he's going forward and now he finds out that his brother's coming with 400 men to meet him. That he's got this double encampment of angels that he's meeting with. And, and it should give him great faith in the situation. And I think he does have a measure of faith, but he also has a measure of fear in the situation because, hey, it's 400 men. And that's a small army in that sense. So, so this is what's happening. We have the double encampment. We have, we have a vanguard in front of us and a rear guard behind us. And we just need to trust that God is with us and his servants are with us. And we just need to trust him. When, you know, one of the things that you could put like kind of like a little piece in the arsenal there is like sometimes we don't know there isn't anything to do but trust. There isn't anything to do but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that's exactly what was told to Moses when uh, he brought the people out of the land of Egypt and they were hemmed in. They had mountains on both sides, the sea in front of them, the Red Sea in front of them, the armies of Pharaoh coming up from behind. And Exodus 14, verse 14, I believe it is, says, just stand there. 
Just stand there and behold the salvation of God. So sometimes we just need to trust in what God has already set in motion to lead us, guide us, and protect us in the situation. And we must keep in mind that the struggle, the battle, is spiritual. We may be having a conflict in the physical. It may be a struggle with a family member, a co-worker, or even a friend or a spouse. And the Bible tells us that the battle is spiritual. And Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. You're very familiar. Verse 12, you'll see it on the screen. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This can be hard to wrap your mind around. We, most people are very, most Christians are very familiar with this verse, but you have to kind of think about this one. Okay, so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So like this conflict that I'm having with my brother, this conflict that I'm having with my family member, this situation that's going on, this rough and uneasy situation going down in my work relationships, we're, we're, not, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. No, it's a, it, we're wrestling in, in the spirit, with the spiritual host, the principalities and powers of wickedness, of the darkness of this present age, and the issue that is present within the person and even yourself that is causing conflict in that relationship is spiritual at its root. And so we have to understand all these important points. And that is like a big boy thought right there. That's a big boy thought to realize, you know what? I actually could have a spiritual issue that God needs to deal with me about in this situation. So we've got to realize that. The spirit, spiritual battle manifests in the flesh. Jacob received word that Esau was coming out to meet him with 400 men. And again, this put fear in the heart of Jacob. Even though he had the double encampment, he was full of fear. Esau and 400 men were coming. So what do you do? He, well, let me back up. So he met the double encampment of angels. He sent them ahead. And then they returned with the, the news that, yeah, Esau's coming. Your brother's coming and there's 400 guys too, just to let you know. <laughs> here's the situation. You wanted to know? You sent us out to gather the information? Here's what's going down. Esau's coming. Your brother, yeah, the one that you wronged. And 400 guys. <laughs> so what do you do in that situation? What do you do when you find yourself in the midst of a, that type of a battle royale, a WrestleMania in that sense? Well, look down at verse 9, and you'll see what Jacob did. Then Jacob said... Oh, God, of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country. What did he do? He prayed. He called out to the Lord. This is the best thing you can do in any situation. Amen? And especially when you're dealing with a physical, something that's manifesting in the flesh, but you know it's, phys it's spiritual, and, and, and you don't know exactly how to proceed, you don't know exactly what to say, you don't know exactly what you need to do in the situation, I think Jacob does provide us an awesome example here to cry out to the Lord. Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal with well, well with you. What's he saying there? You're the God of my father and my grandfather, and it was you who told me to go back. Mm -hmm. It was your idea, didn't you tell me? You, you, you told me 
go back. Leave Haran, leave Laban and the whole situation and go back to the land of your father and grandfather. And then he, it continues, verse 10. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. Deliver me. I pray from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So what do we do? Pray, pray. We cry out to God. We ask him to intervene. We ask him to stretch out his hand into the situation. Um, the, The apostles prayed when John, when, when, uh, John uh, was uh, arrested, Peter and John were arrested when they healed the man uh, at Gate Beautiful. Remember that? He, he, he was saying, hey, I, I, give me some alms. Give me some, I'm poor. Give me something. And they said, look, we don't, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and be healed. And he was healed. And then that spurred on another opportunity to preach the name of Jesus Christ and stirred up a whole situation to where they were arrested and taken into custody. They, spent, they, went, they went before a hearing, they spent the night in jail, and then they were threatened and then released. The threat was, do not preach any longer in the name of Jesus Christ. So they went back to the house and they went to prayer and they said, Lord, uh, stretch out your hand. <laughs> in this situation. So when you're battling in the flesh, realize it's spiritual and pray because prayer is your spiritual weapon. The weapons of our warfare, Paul says, are, are, are not carnal but are spiritual and are mighty in God for the, the tearing down of strongholds. And so we've got two mighty uh, weapons what, what are the weapons of our warfare? Paul says the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal and they're mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. Well, what are they? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter six when he tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood and then it goes on and it says to put on the armor of God, right? To put on the whole armor of God. And he talks about the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And then he says, take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, and pray always. And so what are the, 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 the weapons of our warfare, of this spirit warfare? It's prayer, and it's the word of God. And this is exactly what, what uh, Jacob goes to battle with in this situation. He prayed to the God of his father, a God, the God of his grandfather, and then he reminded God of his word. Yeah. Yeah. So here he is, look at it, here he is, He's just double gunning it here, you know? I mean, he's got prayer and he's got the promises. He's prayer and the promises. And that's what we got to go to battle with. We've got the prayer and the promises. We've got the prayer, the, 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 the opportunity to go before the throne of grace, to boldly approach. And then we've got the word of God. The word of God, which Mary Jo was talking earlier, that comes to our rescue, that, that, that comes you know, with that exact word, that daily bread, that manna that you need today. God's got that manna that you need right now today, the word that you need today. In fact, he's speaking to some of you right now in the midst of even this teaching and the scriptures that were going on. He's teaching you and he's got a a word for you and he's delivering that to you and reminding you of his promises. So we asked God to do what he promised. 
you said leave your country and that everything would be okay. <laughs> right? God, you said to leave your country and everything would be okay. So pray. Pray. Pray in the spirit and don't grow tired of doing it. Keep going. Keep praying and you'll see a breakthrough. Keep praying. Prayer and the word are your weapons, the weapons of our warfare. And they are spiritual and mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. Now, what did Jacob do in the physical? When Laban confronted Jacob with, with hostility, Jacob stood up to him, right? Remember that? You left. You took my girls and my grandkids and all this stuff, and you ran off, and you didn't even let me say goodbye. You didn't even let me hug and kiss your neck. You didn't let me even throw you a party and break out the, you know, dance music. Remember that's what Laban said? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Jacob came back with, you did, <laughs> you know, remember him? And he had that whole, you know, monologue. And he delivers this monologue, you, you, you did this, and I worked for you for the girls for 14 years, and I worked for you for another six, and, and I, I, I was out in the cold in the desert, and, and, and if, if one of the lambs was destroyed by the wild beast, I didn't even charge it to your account, I, I suffered the loss of it, and you changed my wages 10 times, and he just makes his case. There's no case to be made here with Esau. <laughs> Because see, the, see, here's the difference. See, Jacob was kind of in the right with Laban, but now he's kind of like going to deal with Esau and he knows he did his brother wrong, right? Remember, he was the deceiver. He was Jacob. He lived up to his name. He usurped. He, he, he took the blessing with that conspiring together with his mother, Rebecca, and putting on the, the fur jacket and all the rest of it. So... He's going into it with not that boldness of a clear conscience. A clear conscience will give you boldness. But if you've ever been in a situation where you don't have the clear conscience in the situation, then you're kind of like, ah, not so bold, are you? Not so sure of yourself. And Shakespeare was right when he wrote, from Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1. Conscious does make cowards of us all. So this is Jacob's situation. He's hindered by his conscience when it comes to Jacob, and so Jacob sends a wave of gifts, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a nice swell coming in off the, the ocean, right? We're going to send this wave of gifts, and then behind that is going to be another wave of gifts, and then behind that, and the third and fourth, and all the droves, and we're going to send these successive droves of these gifts ahead to Jacob. And he was hoping, hoping to gain acceptance from Esau. And he instructed his servants who were taking the droves of animals as gifts, and look at verse 20. He said to them, say, say this to Esau when you find him. Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face and perhaps he will accept me. So what did he tell his servants to tell Esau? Hey, look at this. This is all from Jacob. And Jacob is coming, you know, after like, we, we're not told how many droves, but I got to believe it was like a lot. 
I got to believe like he put him in, I mean, it could have been 20, 20, 20 droves, you know, like put him in groups of five and, and keep it just going, keep it going all day long and just kind of just all day long, just show up on Esau's doorstep and we'll see if we can gain some favor somehow in here in this situation. The key to wrestling with men is don't wrestle in the flesh. Man, easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. But it needs to be said. And this is what the word teaches us. The key to wrestling with men is to not wrestle in the flesh. Wage war in the spirit with prayer, trust, and the promises of God. And so you will do well for yourself in the situation. You will do well. And in fact, if you think back to a situation that you could have handled differently had you handled it with prayer and appealing to the word of God and being strengthened and encouraged in the word of God and been instructed and had, had, having your, your uh, path lighted by the word of God, you say to yourself even now, mm, maybe that would have turned out a little bit different. Again, the key to wrestling with men is don't wrestle in the flesh. Wrestle in the spirit with the weapons of your warfare. Now, secondly tonight, in this wrestlemania that Jacob is a part of is wrestling with God. Let's go back to our text, chapter 32. Let's pick it up, verse 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them, sent them over the brook and sent them, sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he answered, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over Penuel, the, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. And therefore to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Wrestling with God, wrestling with men, wrestling now with God. Jacob sends his family over the ford of Jabbok. The ford, the crossing. Yeah, that's a, just another word for crossing. It's the, it's the crossing at Jabbok. And he sends his family over the ford of Jack, Jabbok. And that night he was alone. And the passage just kind of, it just kind of seems to move quickly, right? It's like he sends his family over, he was alone, boom. And he was wrestling with a man. That night he wrestled with a man. A man wrestled him all night long, but this was not just a man. He was more than a man. This was the Lord. This was the angel of Yahweh, the, the, the angel of Yahweh that we've talked about, this, this uh, person of the Lord. It's, it's kind of like a, a theophany. It's a, it's, a, 
it's a it's a spiritual uh, visitation of of the Lord. And that night, Jacob wrestled with God. He wrestled with God. Now, that's, that's, that's as big, that, that's WrestleMania. Okay, so 1985, okay, whatever the year this was, this was the rest, this was the original WrestleMania because if you wrestle with God, okay, I mean, Rowdy Roddy Piper and the, you know, the, 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 the Scottish kilt and the whole thing and Hulk Hogan, I mean, hey, you know, whole thing. Jimmy the Superfly Snooker, and, you know, I remember he used to jump off of the top ropes and just, you know, crash on people and stuff. Okay, it's all great. But this was the original WrestleMania. And, uh, and Jacob wrestled with him all night and would not let him go. And... He kept wrestling with him. He kept, he wouldn't let him go. He, he, just, he just kept going. He kept hold of him. I don't know if you know this, but you were made to wrestle. <laughs> Am I shocking you tonight? But yeah, you were made to wrestle. All the ladies said, no, we weren't. We don't want to do that. Right? The guys were like, huh, maybe that's true. (laughs) You were made to wrestle. Wrestling is what we do. Really? Yeah, wrestling is what we do. You see it you see it in the animal kingdom. I was listening to a, a Jordan Peterson lecture, and he was talking about how. Rats actually wrestle each other. And the lecture, we was talking about the hierarchy, the, 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 uh, the, hier- the hierarchy of the, the dominant uh, in the pack. And like, you know, people study, uh, in, the, in the animal world, they study you know, wolf packs and they study this stuff because they, they want to see the dynamic of, of what happens in these groups. And one of the things that they have studied with rats and Peterson was bringing out was that you'll have in this group of rats, you'll have a, you'll have a, a kind of a dominant rat <laughs> and you'll have, I mean, maybe it's Chuck E. Cheese or something. No, he's probably a subordinate, <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. Um, so you have a dominant rat and then you have the subordinate rats. And what will happen is rats and I don't know what, you know, just bear with me. I'm talking about rats, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and so evidently, uh, rats are very playful. And they will play with one another. One of the ways that they play is that they wrestle with each other. I mean, if, you, if you've been around ra- uh, animals at all, you know that they play and they wrestle, okay? You just, this isn't like, you know, a newsflash or anything, okay? And so animals wrestle and rats wrestle. And so one of the things that they've noticed in observing this is that you have, this, you have the dominant rats and you have the subordinate rats. And the dominant rats will wrestle and they will just be dominating the whole thing, but they have noticed this interesting fact that the dominant rat will allow the subordinate rat to win every now and then, to gain some type of an advantage. And I don't know if they know why, it's just, it's innate or whatever, but um, the, the theory is that 
that if the dominant rat is the type of an evil rat that like, I'm just going to beat you up and beat you up and we're going to play it. I'm the one that's going to have fun. And that's the way it goes around here because I'm the dominant rat. And so somewhere down in, in the DNA of everything, the dominant rat knows that he's got to let the subordinate rat win a couple of times. Not, not, not enough to make him think that he can be a dominant rat, but just enough to, to, so that he keeps wrestling, so that he keeps playing. Right. And what we have realized, especially us fathers who have, have had kids, we realized because we all got down on the floor and wrestled with our kids. Dads, raise your hand if you got down on the floor and wrestled with your kids. Yeah. Why? Because we're rats. No. Because, <laughs> because, because that's what we do, right? That's what we do. And when you wrestled with your kids, what did you do? You got down on the floor and you the first thing you did, did was you showed them that you were dad. And you showed them who was boss and who was the dominant. And then after you won a few times, you said, well, you know, maybe I should let him win. Yeah. And so you let them win. And you, you kind of get pinned in all this. So if this is God wrestling with Jacob, don't you know that he could slip out of any hold of Jacob in a matter of like a nanosecond? I mean, I mean, think about it. This is God, and it's not like he doesn't know the perfect slip move to come out of like whatever, like, you know, I don't even know. I can't remember these wrestling holds. There's this one death choke or something. I don't know what that was going on, but don't you know that, that God could get out of any wrestling hold in just a, in just a, a quick thing? Um, Especially with what we know about the angel of Yahweh, this the Lord, we're told later in Israel's history, and I have the verse up on the screen, just because I want to put this in context for you. It's 2 Kings 19.35. That night, the angel of Yahweh went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Okay, so this is a different night <laughs> than the night that he's wrestling with Jacob, okay? We're talking, this is two different nights. One night, he's letting a guy kind of go toe-to-toe with him a little bit. Another night, ah, not so, not so much, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the corpses, the bodies hit the floor that night, for sure. So the Lord let Jacob win a few rounds. I just think this is amazing. I just think this is amazing. Because he wanted Jacob to keep wrestling. He wanted Jacob to keep wrestling. The wrestling wasn't going to end there. It would continue to the end of Jacob's life. And did you know that the Lord is wrestling with you? And if you're a Christian, you're wrestling with the Lord. You might feel like sometimes it's a, you're struggling with the Lord. You're struggling to believe. You're struggling to trust him with whatever it is that he's put before you. Whatever uh, situation, whatever he's put before you, the obstacle or the, the, the thing that you've got to walk through or the, maybe the family situation that you're dealing with, whatever it is, he's put this in your life and you're wrestling. And we're wrestling with the Lord and he's wrestling with us. 
and, and he wants you to wrestle with him. And, and he's, he, he's going to even, he's a good father. If you were a good father and you let your kids win a few rounds in the living room floor, God's going to give you some hope as you wrestle with him. Amen? Because he wants you to keep wrestling. The idea is that we keep wrestling with the Lord. The idea is we keep struggling with the Lord all the days of our life. We keep wrestling because we were made for wrestling. And it's like a, a wrestling match. Life, in that sense, life with God, our walk with Christ can be, can be like that. We're, we're just, we're, we're, we're holding on to the Lord. Life with God is not always, I mean, you know, there are some that want to portray the life of, the, the, the Christian life, right? As this kind of nice and neat and tidy and like we got it all sewn up and put in a nice, you know, nice box and a nice thing and all the edges are nice and crisp and everything and, oh, isn't this nice? No, that ain't, I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I've read the whole Bible and I look at my life and I look at everybody else I know, everybody else I've ever come in contact with and I know it's a struggle. It's a wrestling with the Lord, amen? It, it can be messy. God speaks his truth to us. And we vent our frustrations and our doubts back to him. And the wrestling match goes on. And it goes back and forth. And he hears us out. And he gives us a little bit of truth. And he speaks to us. And he shows us what's for And in the midst of it, he touches the socket of our hip. He touches the socket of our hip. Now, the key is to keep wrestling. The key is to keep wrestling. Don't give up. Amen? Now, the Lord did something very interesting. He touched him in the socket of his hip. And so they are wrestling, and the Lord puts Jacob's hip out of socket. And we'll get to that in a minute. Then the Lord spoke to him, and he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And again, the Lord could have easily gotten out of whatever hold that Jacob had on him. But the Lord is wanting to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob wants the Lord to bless him. So he asks him, what is your name? So, so God, so they've been wrestling all night. And, and God says, okay, let me go. The day is breaking. Got to go. Um, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Okay, what's your name? What's your name? Now this is when Jacob, when saying his name to the Lord, is actually having to kind of admit who he is. Because remember, he lived up to his name. He came out of the birth canal grasping the heel of his brother Esau. And so he was called Yaakov. Right? Jacob, the heel catcher, the usurper, the deceiver. And so here it is, God asking him, what's your name? Well, my name is, my name's Jacob. My name's Jacob. And he changes his name. And God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. You know, God is into two things, wrestling and changing people's names. <laughs> and we see them both in this passage. What's that? 
God is into two things, wrestling and changing people's names because he wants to wrestle with you all the days of your life and he's gonna change your name because you had an identity before you came into the kingdom, before you came into the family. You had another thing. You were perhaps a Jacob. You were a a usurper, a deceiver, whatever it was that you were, but God doesn't leave you in that state. He wants to change your name and he gives you a new identity and so he asked Jacob, what's your name? You were Jacob. You were the heel catcher. You were the one that was grasping onto the heel of Esau. But I'm changing your name. You will, from this moment forward, you will be called Israel. For you have struggled with man and with God and have overcome. You've struggled with God. You've wrestled with God. And this is what is so amazing, that God changes his name. You cannot wrestle with God and not be changed. You cannot truly wrestle with the Lord and not be changed. Your name shall no no longer be Jacob, but Israel. The, The name Israel is a compound of two words. From the actually from the name Sarah, which was his grandmother, and El. It, it, it's Israel, okay? So it is Sarah, meaning fight, struggle, and L, meaning God, to struggle with God. And I know some others have interpreted it and say, you know, that's rule, and they, they said, like, you know, to rule with God, and you will rule with God. And I don't discount that interpretation, but I think as I've looked at this and, and spent, uh, spent some time looking at this, that this is none other than you will be Israel, you will struggle with God, you will wrestle with God. And that's what we do. That's what we're called to as Christians. As the people of God, we're called to contend with the Lord. We're called to, to hold on to the Lord. And, 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 and it's that back and forth. And sometimes the struggle is us just kind of confessing to him, you know, the realities of our humanity, even though he's fully aware. And we are just crying out to him. And we are struggling with him. And we're saying, you know what? This is the situation. And I'm really frustrated. And I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel with this situation. And God wrestles with us. And he brings his vision and his His word and and his destiny, his plan to to bear upon our lives because we've chosen to wrestle with him. And our lives are changed forever. So this is the definition of the victorious Christian. Israel, right? I think this is it. You, You have wrestled with God and with men and have overcome. What? You were born, your mom had you, you came out, you were this sweet little baby, but what happened? You grew up and life got hard and you had to wrestle. You had to wrestle in this big world called WrestleMania, okay? And you had to keep going and you went to school and you went to college, you went to training school and you got out and you, and you, kept, and you had family trouble and you had financial troubles and you had this situation and that situation and, and you, you, you learned to wrestle. And as a Christian, you, you learn to wrestle in the spirit and to allow the Lord to fight your battles and that you continue to wrestle and to hang on to the Lord. And so that the definition 
of a true believer, of an overcoming, a victorious Christian, is none other than Israel. For you have wrestled with God and overcome and overcome. Jacob asks him what his name is. And the Lord, at, the Lord replies, look at the Lord's reply. Why do you ask about my name? A, f- a few different things said, a few different ideas, a few different things said in the commentaries about this. I think it's actually pretty simple. I think the Lord is actually saying, why are you asking my name? You know who I am. You know. And we find out that he knows. Because he names the place Penel, right? I have seen the Lord face to face and I have survived. So, so he asks his name and the Lord says, why you ask about my name? You know who, you know who it is. And then he, he, he declares that he did know who it was. Right? So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. I have seen God face to face. I knew it was God. And he called the place Peniel. Now there, is a, there are those that believe, and I, I just throw this out there. It's kind of a little bit out there, but it's, it's interesting to me. Um, the the Peniel is to see or whatever, and it's, um, there is actually the pineal gland that is, um, people have called it like the third eye, but it's a gland that actually some have traced to the perception of um, uh, a, a, a other levels of consciousness. You can have like adult, adult conscious in that sense. And faith is kind of, in that sense, a higher consciousness to see God, to, to be able to say, look, I, I see God. I, I see the Lord high and lifted up and, and, to, and to be able to come to that place. So whatever, Jacob says, God, I, I've seen God face to face. He knew who he was. Do you know him? Have you seen him face to face? Are you wrestling with God? Now, as Jacob is walking away from the location, he crosses over a place, and he calls it Peniel. It's actually the same word. He calls it, the, he calls it, the, it's the same word in the Hebrew. And it says that Jacob limps. As he's walking away, he's limping over the, over the hill as he crosses over. So Jacob, who is now Israel, who has, who has wrestled with God and is now heading back to Canaan, limps on his hip because God touched him in his hip socket. And he's now going to be reminded every time he walks, every time he takes a step, from that moment forward, he's going to re- be reminded that on that night, on that occasion that he wrestled with God, and that this is his life, that he is Israel. He limps. He walks with a limp. And he's going to depend upon God. Now, I googled the most common wrestling injuries. <laughs> you did? Yes, I did. <laughs> Trust me. I did. What are the most common wrestling injuries? The injuries include concussions, scrapes, bruises, tongue cuts, and cauliflower ear, whatever that is. Anybody know what that is? I, I would imagine it's like your ear gets just garbage down so rough that it looks like a piece of cauliflower. <laughs> Knee and shoulder injuries occur with 
degrees of severity. So what's your injury? What's your injury? Jacob was touched in the hip, the socket of his hip, so that he walked with a limp and it reminded him of his ongoing wrestle with the Lord. And I got to believe that God has put something in your life that points you towards that struggle that you have, towards that relationship that you have with God. You may even look at it like, I wish it was gone. I wish it wasn't here. I'm sure that Jacob wished that he could walk regular without a limp. I mean, I don't know how bad it was. I mean, there's various varying degrees of limps. I mean, there's just a little tiny limp, and then there's like really awkward, like I really cannot walk type limps. What is your wrestling injury? When you wrestle with God, God may touch an area that you need to depend upon him the most. He might touch your tongue. You might come away with a tongue cut. You might come away with a cauliflower ear because you need to learn to hear and to listen to what the Lord is saying. You might have a tongue cut because you need to learn how to, ah, I got that tongue cut. Maybe I just need to think about what I'm saying. I've got that limp. I've got that knee. I've got whatever. You know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God three times to take it away. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. And so I think Paul would even say that the fact that now I've asked God three times to take this away and God has told me my grace is sufficient for you, that when I look at that, I got to be reminded of the wrestle and the grace of God that is pouring out into my life and that it becomes, in that sense, even though it's an injury, a thorn in the flesh or whatever it is, it's a reminder that I'm walking with the Lord, that I have a relationship with God. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, the children of Israel did something. The last verse there The children of Israel did something to remember this. Whenever they ate a lamb or whatever, they would not eat the muscle of the hip because God had touched him in the hip, you know, the hip, the the muscle that shrank from the socket. And so they would not eat that particular muscle. And so that was kind of a remembrance that the people of God had. Now, I want to take you to the end of Jacob's life just as we close. In, well, at the end of Jacob's life, Jacob blesses all of his sons, as was the custom, right? When, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the patriarch is dying, he got, you gather the sons and you bless them, right? And he, he had, in chapter 49, and we'll get there, like, you know, whenever we get there, but um, <laughs> in chapter 49, he blesses the, his sons. But before that, he had also blessed or he, he blessed the, the 12 sons, but then he also blesses uh, Joseph's sons because Joseph's sons actually become uh, two tribes in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the people of God, right? You have Manasseh and Ephraim. So he blesses Joseph's sons. And I want to take you to Hebrews. You don't have to turn there because I'll have it up on the screen. It's actually Hebrews 11, 
verse 21. And this is, of course, the, the hall of faith, right? This is, this is the writer of Hebrews, and he's explaining the faith of the patriarchs. He's, the, the, these other men and women from the Old Testament that have been, you know, the, the, like the hall of fame, but the, the hall of faith. And, and they, they had great faith. And what was, the, what was part of the great faith that Jacob uh, had? Now, li- li- listen to this verse. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship, and catch this, as he leaned on the, on the top of his staff. On the top, he's le- So what is he? So, so come, come, come on, come on, I'm, I'm going to bring you down. We're going to bless the sons. We're going to bless your sons, Joseph, come on. Oh, 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 oh. I got to get, oh, my, my hip, my hip. Where's my staff? I need to lean on my staff. And here he is, blessing Joseph's sons. And this is one, you know, we don't have time to get into all that because he crisscrosses his hands and all that. We won't get into that tonight. But he leans on the top of his staff. Even in his dying blessing, he is even reminded, and the text comes forth to us, that that which God did and touched in his, the socket of his, his hip that reminded him of his struggle with God, that he carried that through all the way to the very end. And so I want to close, I I close with this. God said this to Jacob, you have wrestled with man and God and overcome. See, that the, 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 key, the key to the Christian life is trusting God, wrestling with God, and then overcoming to the end, right? When you read the Revelation, when you come to the book of Revelation, chapter two and three, the seven churches, there's a promise. Each church is given a promise to those who would overcome. And so I wanna tell you what the promise is for you, Christian Israel, who will overcome by the blood of the lamb. I want to tell you what the promise is that you're going to receive when you come into the kingdom and God says, you have overcome and you have wrestled with men and you have wrestled with God and you have overcome and these are the promises. We are called to have the same legacy, the same testimony, to wrestle with man, men in that fight in the spirit and pray for those who persecute us and wrestle with God all of our days. And here it is. And you will have all that God has waiting for you. You will have fruit from the tree of life. You will have everlasting life. You will be given a yes and an amen and a new name. And you will be given the robes of righteousness. And you will be made a pillar in the house of God. And you will sit with the Lord on his throne. Why? Because you wrestled with man and with God and overcame.